What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drunk Turkey Show. I'm Daniel J. Alongside with me is nobody yet, but Heim is beaming in here in a few minutes or a few seconds. I know he'll be coming in. Uh, Big Blue is is out at uh, one of the state parks, getting some, getting his cool on, getting wet, and uh, enjoying his summer vacation. Uh, he may jump on if he ends up getting back in time. Hi, um, man. How's it going, my man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Um, I fell asleep, dude. I ain't gonna lie. Oh, I was taking it. It was a it was a nap that took. It was more than it was like a little small small little coma that I was in. A little little one, a little one, a little one. Okay. I didn't hear my phone, and I was like, "Oh crap!" When I saw the time, I was like, "Ah, I gotta get." Nah, it's all good, my man. It's all good. At least you made it. At least you made it. Uh, before we start the show, though, I have a special shout out to make. Um, and I, I, I forgive me if I don't know exactly how to pronounce your name. If it's Joan or Joanne, uh, but I think it's Joan. Uh, she sent, um, as y'all are, many of you guys are aware, um, me and my wife had a little girl not too long ago. And so she sent us a card and um, and some clothing for, for our little girl uh, having to do with fishing. Yeah. So I wanted to bring this up and say thank you. We truly appreciate um, your card. We appreciate the words you said. They, they meant a lot to myself and to my wife. I wanted to say thank you. And we have something coming coming your way. So uh, uh, we'll probably send it out sometime little next week. So keep an eye out. We appreciate you. The calendar? Uh. <laughs> no, no, no. No calendar. Uh, but yes, hands down amazing. That's the wife of y'all didn't know. Uh, so. <clears throat> so a couple of days ago, I was on uh, True Crime Cafe with, with Dago and a few other folks. And they, we, were, we ended up getting on the discussion about um, the 911 phone call, right? Now, obviously, I found out in that moment that everybody on the panel hadn't been listening in or tuning in because we had spoken about, you know, what we were aware of on the 911 call a couple of days ago or a couple of shows ago. So it's probably sometime last week or the week before. And, um, you know, we've talked about other things. So I would highly recommend if you're not going back and checking out the, um, you know, the the other channel, the other channels, the other videos that we're putting out there, uh, you might be missing out on something. And I want to say, wow. And thank you, Kelly, for your forty nine ninety nine super sticker. We truly appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you guys are interested in, you know, a lot of people ask us, how do we support the show, donate things of that nature? We do have a cash app. We do have, um, you know, memberships and things of that nature. Links are in the description. Um, we see a couple of creators in here real quick. Uh, Canadian um, True Crime Buff. We have Truth and Transparency. I believe I saw the Evil CJ show somewhere around here. I saw it a minute ago. Ah, here he is. How's it going, my man? He's hiding. He was hiding. He was hiding. <laughs> are you drinking tonight, buddy? Uh I was, but all I have is water right now. Oh, man, we'll go get yourself a drink here in a minute. I'm drinking something weird. I don't even know if I have anything. I got to go check in the, the fridge. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Somebody asked drinking... me if I was sitting better, and I, and I was going to say, yeah, I am. Um, I think it's just, you know, since here in Texas is super hot these past couple of days, and I don't think it's going to get any better. Um, no, 100%. 
Yeah, not anytime soon. We, we have a cold front coming, then it's going to be 97, I believe. So that's, that's <laughs> hey, at it's least it's not going to be 120. Dude, that's like a that's like a 25 you know degree drop. If you yeah. think about it. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. And like, you know, these past couple of times that I've been like feeling like pretty crappy, it's been because of the heat itself, you know, and the humidity. All right. So, yeah, but yeah, thanks for for asking. Yes, yes, and we're we're glad you're you're doing a lot better, my man. And so, <clears throat> oh, we have another one ninety nine super sticker. Thank you so much, Patricia. Oh, Thank we appreciate you. you. Um, oh yeah, we also have that buy us a beer option that's in the links. Also, forgot about that. That's All right, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I said, we were on the day. I was on the Dago show the other day. Um, and then Jewels of All Trade, I invited her on here. She, I, I got an email from her saying that she wasn't going to be able to make it, but I think we'll be able to do a show together in the future, uh, probably in the next week or so, um, just so we can kind of clear out some of the questions and, and, and things that were said and not said and, and understood and misunderstood, so to speak, when it references our conversation with, um, with Christy uh, Gonzalez, Kaylee's mom. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, like I said, we were on the Dago show a couple of days ago, or I was on the Dago show a couple of days ago, and we brought up the 911 phone call. And like I said, we had brought this up before, uh, but we had a conversation, or I had a conversation with Christy Gonzalez referencing the 911 call. Uh, I'm actually going to bring up a video so we can watch it real quick, and then we'll get into what was said in that phone call. Uh, this will give you an opportunity to Get yourself a drink, I'm if you need one. We'll see. We've known a lot of things, not everything, but the probable cause affidavit, some of the police reporting um, and the news conferences, that's given us a small picture. But what we haven't known is what happened prior to the first responders arriving on the scene. And tonight I can can tell you. Um, You have heard that the 911 call was made from a surviving roommate's phone, cell phone. Uh, But we can now tell you who it was who made that call. I'm not going to name the person, but it was Ethan's best friend. So we had a uh, interview with uh, Chrissy Gonzalez not too long ago, and we got I got into the conversation with her about this 911 phone call. We were talking about a couple of things. We were trying to debunk some of the rumors that are out there, referencing what time were people over, what time did people know, and how much of the scene was like disclosed and things of that nature. And when I when we got into talking about it, she mentioned to me that they had um, spoken to the person who made the nine one one call, and that that person. Um, uh, that this story is accurate, referencing that aspect, that it was Ethan's best friend. Um, this is something that was reported by News Nation. So there are some aspects of News Nation that don't correlate with what Christy told us, as far or t- told me as far as what she was aware of. But she had firsthand knowledge from the person that did call 911. And uh, we're going to, I guess, explain to you guys tonight exactly what she told us and how that plays with the... Um, you know, the uh, probable cause affidavit and, and what it could mean. But she did state that this was accurate, that it was indeed Ethan's best friend and that she had or they had as a family uh, at one point spoken with Ethan's best friend. And this here mentions that there was a, you know, Ethan's best friend discovered the bodies and 
took the polls and, and did a bunch of those things. And, and, and that's not entirely accurate according to what the information that what I was told. And, and it doesn't really make um, it doesn't make sense, to be honest with you. So um, without further ado, I'll just get into what was asked and what was said. Um, you know, we got into what had occurred and she and he said that and I'm going to read this, that the girls called him. He went over. Um, he couldn't get through the door because uh, Ethan's body was blocking the door. That he was able to push open the door enough to peer in and see what he saw. And he told, uh, and he said, "Get the f out!" And that they called nine one one immediately. And so, those were the words that she had told us. There wasn't anything about a pulse being checked. There wasn't anything about Ooh. any of those aspects. Um, I went back and listened to to, to it today. Um, we we discussed the probable cause affidavit, and uh, in fact, we have it here. Um. And it states that as they were walking to the bedroom, uh, Officer Smith directed me down a hallway to the west bedroom on the second floor, which I later learned through Zana's driver's license and other personal belongings found in the room. Was Zana Kernodal's here after Kernodal's room? Just before this room was a bathroom and a door in the Southway hallway. As I approached the room, I could see a body later identified as Kernodal's laying on the floor. Colonel was deceased with wounds, which appeared to have been caused by an edge weapon. Also in the room was a male later identified as Ethan Chapman. And so it doesn't really tell us like more or less where Ethan is in this room. You know, they don't want to release the 911 tape. Um, in my, my opinion, and this is just 100% my opinion and speculation, is probably because there's something on there to the effect that he had to push open the door to get in. Yeah. Why do you think, and I'll ask you first time, why do you think um, they would try to hide this information? Um, because if he was close, I mean, like you said last time, if he was closer to the door and it was blocking it, that means that he was still alive yeah. and trying to make it out. And that would have helped the cause for Dylan. Um, yeah, right. No, yeah, Dylan. And yeah, uh, so, the, the fact that it took forever to, you know, to call them a one or not. Right. Obviously, if this door was blocked to the point where uh, they couldn't get in, uh, that would mean that uh, obviously the person that committed this crime couldn't have put the body there and then exited from the same door. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, so obviously maybe that thud was him attempting to get to that door. Now, like I said, this was what Ms. Gonzalez told us. This is what she stated that she had firsthand knowledge from the person who called 911 and that that's what the person who called 911 told her that. Now, as far as why he didn't have his phone with him or any of those things, no idea. None whatsoever. Um, I can assume that maybe perhaps, and, and here's the thing, we have, we've spoke to a guy named Dave who is a fraternity student in the University of Idaho, right? And um, he told us that early on, um, he had heard rumors that there was an OD, right? And I spoke, when I spoke with Christy, she stated that her, you know, they also heard those rumors, obviously, after 1.30. 
but that it was early on after they were notified that, um, you know, something had occurred, but before the sheriff's department went out there and clarified what exactly had occurred. Um, and so we speculated that there was a possibility that these girls, maybe they didn't see the entire scene, right? Maybe because that door was blocked and maybe they panicked because they thought something else had occurred, maybe an OD. Maybe that's why those rumors started spreading. They're like, hey, there's people blocking the door and we can't get the door open. And then from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, next thing you know, people are trying to connect dots, kind of similar to what they're doing now, you know, with this case. And, you know, and, and rumors spreads you know, and people think that it was an OD versus something that which ended up being what it was. Um, and the reason why we speculated was that maybe perhaps they don't want to release this information because they are protecting the witness and Dylan, you know, if Dylan saw somebody that night and Ethan was able to make it to the door. That leads us to believe that he initially perhaps may have survived the initial attack. Yeah. Who knows how long he's, uh, we don't, we don't know the degree of the, the injuries or, or any of those things, but I think that's the reason why they chose to do uh, this direction. Um, why wouldn't you even call out? I don't know. I don't know where his phone was at or any of those things. Uh, that's what Lana says. Uh, and it may not have been a very long time from the time that, um, you know, Coburger or whoever walked out and his body fell over. Yeah. But according to, and, and like I said, all that's just speculation. The only thing that we do know is that word from the person that called 911 was that it was Ethan's body that was blocking that door. How it got there or whatever the case may be, that's all our speculation, you know, sure. right? Yep. Um, but I do want to, I, I just realized how to do my, how to look at my mentions on, on. <laughs> so okay. I apologize to so many people that have, you know, mentioned us on things, but I, I did see something on my mentions uh, today. I finally figured out how to do it. And then innocent until proven guilty, you have a funny video that you, you tagged me and I, I recommend people to go see. But um, I saw that TNT, um, Truth and Transparency, Lena had tagged me in a question. Apparently, like ABC News or Fox News, I don't know, one of these news companies uh, had stated that um, Christy Gonzalez had stated something to the effect that uh, that she thinks Koberger is the guy. And, you know, well, I can't remember the words directly or, or verbatim. I think mm. something about you know, he should, you know, the death, I think it had to do something with the death penalty and, and him being treated like an animal. Um, I don't know. And I'm not going to go ask any, I'm not a mouthpiece for them. I had one interview with, with Christy Gonzalez. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a mouthpiece. I'm not a representative. I'm not speaking for them. I just know what I know from the one interview I have. What I can say was when it did come to their opinions, there was certain things that they wanted out. Um, you know, for instance, you know, when she told me that, you know, when it came to his guilt, that they don't want to taint a jury pool or anything, uh, that they want to say that, you know, they'll wait for all the evidence to come in. But since there's been several reports about how they truly feel, um, I will say that I don't, I'm not, I, I don't doubt that story is being true based on my conversations with her. I, I don't know if she said that or not. I have no idea. And I'm not going to go ask, like I said, I'm, I'm not their mouthpiece. I'm not their spokesperson or their attorney. Uh, just that. You know what I'm saying? 
And so uh, Lisa Vejo says, uh, so an hour alive could ha have been saved. And I'm like, I don't think it was an hour alive or any of those things. If, you, if we go back to the 911, I mean, to the probable cause affidavit, uh, there's a thud heard at around 4.17 a.m. Uh, you know, so there's a good chance that, you know, um, that thud is maybe perhaps him falling towards that, yeah. that door. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it also depends on the injuries he he was sustained. You know what I mean? Like depending on where the injuries were at, he could have, you know, bled out real, real fast. Right, right, one hundred percent. And like, it, 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 I don't know. Um, you know, the, the the family or, or Christy, what she told me, that the family doesn't know very much. Like I said, this information that she has didn't come from you know, police department or police officers, you know, yeah. she, she said that her husband uh, flat out asked him what happened and this is what he was told. And so, um, you know, I, I think that does put a little bit of a wrench in a couple of things um, as far as how early people knew or aware, you know, maybe there is that possibility, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe Dylan and like, so there's been times where people have been found uh, like an OD situation. And then I use that situation because that's what the rumors were, right? Early on was this was an OD. In an OD situation, I think that there comes the opportunity for panic, right? And uh, I mean, there's the opportunity for panic in every situation, but I can, I can understand these kids panicking and freaking out and, and not calling authorities right away because of that. Yeah. And based on what I understand from what Christy is telling me is that, um, and, and this could be a reason why there was only one latent shoe print and stuff like that, is that it doesn't sound like there was a whole lot of evidence that the crime that was committed was committed. Like there wasn't the evidence of that crime outside of where those two bedrooms were. You get what I'm saying? Like yeah. It doesn't sound like there was a, a trail of blood going through the house. We already know that there wasn't outside of the house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We know that there wasn't one outside of the house. And so that tells me that that's not accurate. And as far as anybody coming up with descriptions of the, of what they saw there, that tells me that that is inaccurate um, outside of what maybe the coroner said and people putting their, connecting their dots. And mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because According to what I understand, um, and I went back and listened to, to it today, was um, uh, that he and he being Ethan's best friend only opened the door wide enough so that he can look in. Uh, and then he said, we got to call 911. And 911 was called. Ooh. And I'm paraphrasing when I say we got to call 911. The correct words that Christy told me was, um, hold on said uh we gotta call the uh something man i have it written down i can't even read my damn handwriting anymore uh <laughs> i said it earlier i had it down i called um saw his best friend on the floor and said uh get the f out and called 911 there you go that's what it was and so um it just kind of puts in some i guess some I, I don't know what does it say to you Jaime? what do you think about this information Hold on, man. Hold on real quick. I got a cough. All right, no problem. You know, while you do that, I'm going to actually continue to play this. 
who made the 911 call, and that's because it was Ethan's best friend who made the discovery of Zana and Ethan's bodies. And that is a very tragic and sad detail to report. Up until now, it had been an assumption that there was maybe uh, an unconscious person because it was a guess that there was someone behind the door who wasn't answering a bedroom door. Now we can tell you that it was Ethan's best friend who had been called over that morning um, and made the discovery and, and took Ethan's pulse. Um, also called out to get 911 on the phone. It is more than likely that the phone that was used to call 911 was surviving roommate Dylan Mortensen's cell phone. Uh, you have probably heard up until now that it's, it was an unconscious person um, that the dispatch uh, said over the radio. But that's not unusual because when there's confusion, um, it's standard protocol, according to an article that came out recently in airmail, uh, standard protocol, uh, if there's confusion, just to skip the um, necessities of getting clarity and just dispatch the first responders for a, a you know an unconscious person, regardless of what the actual situation is. So for anyone getting caught up on an unconscious person, uh, probably not a good idea, given the fact that that's just sort of a standard uh, description for get moving. We need people on the location. Again, this is multiple sources tonight with knowledge of the investigation telling us about who made the discovery of Ethan's body and then, of course, of Zana's body. What I can tell you is who made the discovery of Maddie and Kaylee on the third floor. I'm not sure if it was um, any of the other kids who were called over. Um, what is you know, interesting about this whole scenario that, that played out that morning was that kids came over to the home and then 911 was called. So who knows if there was any knowledge of the carnage that had taken place in that home before the kids came over. I mean, it's college, right? It's Sunday morning after a fun Saturday night. And maybe, just maybe, kids were coming over to, you know, get together and go out for a, a Sunday brunch. But um, some kids who are unidentified at this time uh, went over to the house that morning and it was Ethan's best friend who made that discovery and took Ethan's pulse and yelled for them to call 911 and ultimately got on the phone on Dylan Mortensen's phone and, and talked to the 911 um, operators. I want to bring in News Nation Senior National. All right. So <clears throat> what do you what do you think, man? What do you think? Um, does this change your opinion about anything as far as Koberger's involvement? Um, Not really. Not really, because like. We heard different stories, right? Right. We have we heard different stories of, of, to, from different people, from different articles, and uh, from different news stations, right? Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's you know come to light, or that I think that she, you know, what she said was that there were kids that came over. You know what I mean? Right. But at the same time, um, Ethan's best friend, pretty much told everybody to get out right that's what that's what you said it sounded like that when i went through there but it sounded more like get the f out and i'm not sure who he was saying that to mm -hmm. if he was just saying that to one person if that was you know dylan or if he was saying that to bethany or dylan and bethany or dylan bethany and a group of people yeah. um i don't know but it was get the f out yeah and like they're like 
the the contaminating of the of the you know the crime scene. I mean, even if it was even if nobody, and it was just the roommates that were there, the yeah. days before there's a, there was a lot of people there. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's what sucks. Like that no matter who did it, who I mean, who who wasn't involved doesn't matter because they still got to check everybody. So when it comes right. down to like Cobra, like what I understand is the fact that you know. Uh, Zen had uh, defensive wounds, right? Uh-huh. And I'm guessing, like, I don't know if they said anything about DNA under her fingernails or anything like that, or on, on any of the other victims. They haven't said anything about that either, right? N- not to my knowledge, and it doesn't sound like there's DNA under the fingernails or anything like that, based on mm-hmm. uh, the reports that we have seen. Um, it doesn't appear to be so. I know there was a report that there was two other male, you know, um, DNA samples where the bodies were located, where two of the bodies were located. It doesn't say which two. So yeah. we don't know if that was near Kaylee and Maddie's body or if that was, you know, Xana and Ethan's. Uh, we can only speculate. Yeah. And when, when Dylan said that uh, she saw uh, someone walk out through the, through the kitchen sliding door, right? Well, she saw somebody walking towards the kitchen towards, sliding door. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if it was. Um, I wonder if he was either wearing gloves because in order to open it, you got the latch, right? We'll run the latch. Right. And then so when I was, I wonder if they I, found DNA on the on that latch or even on that on the sliding door. So when I was talking to Christian, and like she was very, and, and this is the one thing that we all have to understand is that she's very you know emotionally bound and tied to this. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, there's a lot of emotion and some, some of the things, you know, she may not say that is accurate, but she said that and she doesn't remember where she heard it or who told her or what, but she mentioned the fact that it wasn't the front door that was left open. It was the back door that was left open and that it was, uh, they believe that it was opened and left open so that it would be like uh, less contact, you know, the less contact, the less possibility of leaving DNA behind and that the back door was open and that they suspect, and I don't know who they is. I asked her a couple of times, but uh, she never really did give me a straight answer as to who they were. Um, but but she also mentioned that a lot of it was her speculation. But her speculation also does come with some a lot of knowledge. I mean, she has firsthand knowledge from you know, Jack Decor, from Ethan's best friend, from uh, you know friends and family members uh, that are close to that area, and so. You know, her speculation and her knowledge of things are, are a little bit closer. So it leads them to, you know, leads me to believe they might be a little bit more credible. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, we had asked and I had asked. That was how we got onto that con- conversation as well. I had asked Christy, I was like, if she had known if the uh, third floor bedroom was locked, you know, and, and she had mentioned to me that uh, that she, she knew that all the bedroom d- doors had locks. But she didn't believe that Ethan and Zana's bedroom was locked because that wasn't the reason why they couldn't get through the door. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I don't know, man. It's To me, it doesn't doesn't change or negate the fact that, uh, you know, whoever did this or who, uh, you know, isn't who they did it, you know, isn't the person that did it or didn't do it. You know, Chief comes in saying 40 fingernails. I'm not sure where you're going with that, but yeah, there's 40 fingernails and not one person got any 
DNA underneath those fingernails. So that leads me to believe that whoever committed this crime could have gone to work that following Monday because they didn't have scratches on them, could have gone to a doctor's appointment, could have maintained a barber's appointment because there's no indication that these victims um, had DNA underneath their fingernails. So that, that really leads me to believe that there's the defensive wounds that they're talking about. Uh, and I, I think people are getting confused when they hear defensive wounds, that those are wounds that are created by defending themselves in the manner of fighting back. But I think that those defensive wounds are defensive wounds of blocking, trying to stop something from happening, not so much the attack. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Annie W says with a $2 super chat says, why not get Maddie and Kaylee before calling a friend? Um, you know, the way it sounded from not just, um, you know, talking with Christy, but also listening to Ashley Banfield on this report and their through their exclusive sources or whatever, how many they have, it, it, it sounds like, and to me, and also looking at the probable cause affidavit, I think that the upstairs third bedroom floor um, uh, victims were probably asleep. If the second floor victims weren't, there may have been more noise attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so even though Dylan says that she heard what sounded like Kaylee playing with her dog upstairs, she didn't, you know, attribute that, you know, her playing with her dog with something happening. She heard crying thud and all this other stuff and a guy walking from Xana and, you know, Ethan's area, right. Coming that direction. And so I think they were mainly, mainly primarily focused on the, on Ethan and Zana, and probably didn't even dawn to think about, you know, the, the victims upstairs. Let's see. Um, hold on. Now, as we do on our, I know some of you guys don't like it, but this is for our paying members. We do have a members only live chat on Fridays for the second half of the show. And we are now there. And we'll be answering some questions from the live chat for, from our members. It, you know, one thing that I wanted to know, I don't know if I'm, you know, if you know anything about this, but do you know um, of any of the messages or the maybe voicemails that the victims uh, left or might have sent to to Jack for the, on that night? I know that. I mean, I didn't ask that. Uh, it wasn't in the per, in the per, uh, in the scope of the interview. Mm-hmm. However, they have said before that they had access to the text messages that went to Jack because obviously they were talking with Jack, and mm-hmm. that some of those had to do with them getting back together and and about a dog, you know. But that was basically it. Mm-hmm. Um, pumpkin oh, Pumpkin Don says the smell of blood and bodily functions. You know, I, I do want to say that. You know, a lot of people are going to say, people, you know, what about the smell? What about the smell? It's kind of yeah. smell adjusts. So, you know, it, it's kind of like that lobster in a boiling pot. If you throw the lobster into the boiling pot while it's already boiling, it's going to be it's going to be an issue. It's going to climb out. But if you put the lobster in the pot and then boil the pot slowly, the lobster will stay in there. It's kind of the same thing with the smell. It's not like uh, Dylan and Bethany walked in eight hours of you know, bodies being there. And also if the back door or front door was left open, um, it was, it is November in Idaho and at night. So it yeah. probably was fairly cold. So uh, by 4 PM when, you know, Sergeant or detective Payne is arriving, that's, that's an even longer time. So um, the smell aspect 
um, you know, the, the nose adjusts. That's yeah. why, like, people don't know that their house stink. You know what I'm saying? Because they're adjusted to the smell. They know what like, they, they're smelling. Like, like. like smokers? Right, exactly. They don't even know that, that, that they, they don't smell that. And so... Yeah, and uh, it'll, it'll be... I guess it'll be easier to distinguish that smell if, like, for law enforcement because they, they've been around it before. You know what I mean? Right. But maybe to, you know, just a couple of students, like college students that have never been in that situation or don't know what the smell is, it wouldn't attract so much attention to them. You know what I mean? Right, right. Especially if they, they've been in their room sleeping for so many hours, you know? Right. They're, that smell is going to... It's, like, like I said, people don't, that's why people don't know they stink because they can't, they, they, they only smell new smells because, uh, from what I understand, like smell is a uh, defense mechanism, right? So you don't, and this goes back to our like primate days or whatever, our Neanderthal days. Um, if all, if Neanderthals could smell each other or, or they smelled themselves, then it would be difficult for them to track anything else, right? So they only track different smells. And they're able to smell different things, and that's why people can't smell themselves and and things of that nature. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the fact that um, the fact that they were in there for so long, and people indicate that all oh, the smell, the smell, uh, well, they were in there throughout the entire time. Hmm. And so their nose could have gotten adjusted to that pretty easily. Nose blind, there it is. That's that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, laughing stock. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Um, and we'll go through some of these questions. If you have any, answer them and, and, uh, and send them our way. And we'll, uh, we'll go through them. What, do you have any questions, uh, Jaime? Um, well, actually, there's a comment. Um, oh. Go ahead. Pull it up. But, uh, yeah, man, like when that happened, <laughs> a lot of people lost their sense of smell, too. So that could be another thing. You never know they were sick before. That's true too, man. I lost. It, it doesn't lost like the cold also like kind of like dilute the smell too, or helps. Yeah, it will. Right? The heat, the heat is what makes it like everything decompose quicker. So the cold will decom the body will decompose slower. Now I'm not a medical professional. Big Blue is our medical professional of the panel. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's out he's, testing. Am I, am I? He's testing Kirby vacuums as we speak. Uh, <laughs> uh, I heard he borrowed yours. Um, <laughs> the ten foot extension. The ten foot extension, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he's our medical professional. But from my understanding, is that cold definitely does, um, you know, it slows down the decompose the decomposition of the body. Yeah. And thank you yeah. so much, Robin Joy. We appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I remember um, there was this uh, case where I think the father ended up on the night his son, right? The uh -huh. basement or something like that. And not the basement, but his downstairs bedroom. Right. And he, he put the AC all the way down. And it was already cold outside. It was like during Christmas or whatever. Uh -huh. and, so, and he put the AC all the way down. And, you know, the the medical examiners gave a, a time a, a time of death kind of thing. And it was yeah. it was it was helping him with his alibi, you know what I mean? Because they they thought like, oh, there's no way he could have done it because the time of death was different than his, you know, where he would have been at the at that time. 
And then they figured out. I think it was because what he ate. They they used they used the the his, I guess the contents of his stomach, right? And they figured out that the time that he died was a lot sooner around the time right. that they couldn't account for the for the father to be a you know father. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's how they figured out that it was a dad that actually had unalived his son. Dang. Man, yeah, I mean that. The temperature cold, will do that. Yeah, the cold kind of threw it off a little bit. For sure, for sure. Let's see. Oh man, my dang. My, my stream yard's not working. It's not allowing me to pull up the question. So Angel goes, didn't someone else do the actual autopsies? Matt Butt was the coroner. Uh, that is correct. The coroner just goes in there and I think gives the mail. Oh, there it goes. Now it works. I clicked it like three <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, the coroner from, and we are going to have actually, uh, I think July 10th, y'all. So make sure you hit the like and subscribe button and ring that notification bell. Yeah. Uh, July 10th, we're going to have, I believe her title is, she's a medical examiner. Uh, but she has a master's in forensics. She's a friend of the family's. Um, she'll be coming on the show on July 10th. She does. She's done um, death scene reconstruction as well. And so, um, yeah, for defense teams. And so um, we're really intrigued to have her on. Her name is Stephanie. She's from the Seattle, Washington area. Uh, she'll be on the show on July 10th. So make sure you uh, stay be tuned. Be there or be. I think that was a square. I'm not really sure. It's more rectangular, but it's yeah. Right. Well, it's, you know, that's that's one thing that like when I watch Pulp Fiction, and it's uh -huh. like, and, and the, the character goes, "Be don't be square, don't be a square." It's like it's, it's a rectangle. It's like she made a rectangle. <laughs> for sure, man. For sure. All right. So, what about that naked man? Now, I don't know anything about that. Like that has been a rumor. I mean, yeah, big blue. I did hear blue likes to buy himself those uh, disposable or not dis dissolvable swimming trunks. He buys yeah. them for himself. Yeah, and then he plays it off like somebody did it to him. Right, exactly. That's his. We all know it's not. It's not us. So. That's his smick or his whatever it's called. <laughs> his uh, his little trick. Uh, what about Spanish. the? Yeah. What about the naked man? Honestly, I don't know anything about that. Is it possible that? And one of the biggest question marks that's out there is uh, how did, you know, why wasn't there a blood trail going outside, right? That's one thing that we do know for a fact, regardless of anything, you know, the, the stuff that we talked about tonight, referencing what Christy had told us about the 911 phone call, you know, um, that didn't come from police. So that's not official, right? We'll find out if that's official. In fact, that is the way it went down, come down trial. Uh, I strongly suspect that that's the way it's going to be because uh, I don't believe that she's lying to me. Uh, but um, you know, officially what we do know from law enforcement is that there wasn't one outside, right? And we've wondered how did he create a crime like this and go outside and all this other stuff. And maybe perhaps he did take his clothes off. But if you believe the uh, probable cause affidavit, Dylan indicates that he's wearing clothes when he's walking out. So yeah, she, uh, didn't, she didn't say that she that he saw the person walk out, right? She just said that he saw him going towards the Sliding door, right? I guess, or towards right. the kitchen area, right? Right. She didn't actually see him walk out the door. She just walked, saw him walking towards that direction. Yeah, because like it's hard, it's hard to, like, like I was saying earlier, like even if he had gloves or not, like even if he had gloves and he touched anything in that room or anywhere, they were left a somewhat of a of a print, right? Wait, wait, run that by me again. If he would have touched somewhere. What? Yeah, like if he had gloves, even if he had gloves or whatever, like he would have touched the wall. He would have left the 
a handprint of the of the glove, a glove print, I guess you could say, right? I mean, and yeah, like, there would be like smudge marks. Yeah, but like, there's not none of that anywhere, right? Besides the you know, the footprint, I guess you could say. Yeah, to our knowledge, there isn't. I mean, there could be, but to our knowledge, no, there ain't. That's that's crazy, man. Like, I just don't see someone committing that crime and like not leaving any other traces besides inside that room itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, no, it's it's definitely puzzling, man. And that's why I can't wait to have Stephanie on because she's got a master's in forensics, and I want to ask her like mm-hmm. those questions, like. You know they've done reconstruction for the defense teams, and and I want to I want to get down to like, have you ever seen a situation you know like this? Because, well, I mean, we talked about the Christopher Portwood case where you know, that that guy ended up you know being convicted, taking the life of his parent or his father, and severely. Uh, are you not being able to hear me? Yeah, you're sounding kind of muffled. Right, so I'm gonna pull myself out and. Hold on, let me by myself. No, no. Let's see if we let's see how long it takes because I can't hold this forever. <laughs> you hear me better? Yeah, I, I, he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> is it is it better? Talk again. Check that. Kind of oh, sounds nah. the same. That says my. Oh, there, there you go. There you go. There you go. Good. Oh, dude, I don't know what's wrong with my system, man. Something's going on with it. I forgot where it was at. I forgot where it was at. Uh, I would tell you, but I couldn't even hear you. So here, I remember where I was. So you asked me about the glove, right? And, and the good yeah. glove print. I got a question for you. Now, everybody's talking about this tra- trace, uh, touch DNA, right? It's mm-hmm. transferred DNA or this or that. But where's the DNA located at? It's located in the button, inside the button of the sheath. Not in. Like where it snaps? Yeah, yeah, inside. You would think it would be on the on the outside of the button, right? Well, we, we got to remember where the outside of... Well, not only that, but we got to remember where the sheath was, right? The okay. sheath was underneath partially of the body, so there's a good chance that there's blood all over, mm-hmm. right? Which is why they probably found the DNA where they did. And a lot of people were saying, like, oh, they only found it inside the sheath. They only, you know, There's a good chance that there was DNA all over it, but mm-hmm. it was contaminated because of the blood that was soaked in you know that soaked in it was inside the button so like you know shaking somebody's hand and then that part of their hand going inside of the button of the sheath sounds improbable not impossible but improbable yeah you know um him handling it and getting his dna inside of that button is weird uh you know, even if that sheath made it to, like, let's just say Brian Koberger was a frequent person that went to the Moscow Police Department. Mm-hmm. You know, how does, and let's just say he left his DNA on a, on a table and that sheath comes in contact with the table. It's not the outside of the sheath or, or anything. It's inside the button. So how does the DNA, that microscopic DNA, get inside of it without him actually touching the inside of it? I find it very difficult. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Canadian true crime buff comes in with a twenty dollars super chat. The DTS show is a great channel. Thank you so much for that. We have to, <laughs> we have to admit we miss Big Blue tonight. Man, Big Blue is is the man, man. Like, man, man. He's the man, man. Oh shit! <laughs> I just jumped everybody. We we uh, missed them. We missed them too. 
a little bit. Yeah, just a little we, bit. we always do. We always do. So, <laughs> uh, Sarah Beth says, I wonder what BF saw and heard. You know, that's the big question. That's the big question. Apparently, you know, Brian, Brian Kovacs defense team thinks that whatever it is, is possibly could be. And that was the big question there. The big thing that was in there was that it may be uh, exculpatory evidence. There's no, ex- there's no um, exact, they didn't say that it was. Now, the only thing that I think of that could be exculpatory is that maybe she said she recognized somebody else's voice there. You know what I mean? Yeah. What? <laughs> That's because we're switched out. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hope that was it. <laughs> I hope so. I hope I fixed it. Unravel asks, do they believe the girls? And I'm and I'm I'm assuming you mean the Gonzalez family. Yeah. It's uh, for me. It's hard to. It's hard to say. You know what I mean. I mean, uh, and that's not for me to answer. You get yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, that's yeah. not for me to answer. Um, I I, I kind of know the answer to that question, but it's not for me to answer. I'll let them answer that question when it comes down to whether they believe them or not. I don't uh, whether they believe them or not. I, I don't I don't know, I guess. Um, but I'll let them answer that question. Well, later it's not. It doesn't even matter if they believe them or don't. It's gonna be up to the jury. You know what I mean? Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Let's see. Um, Pumpkin uh, Dawn goes too much reasonable doubt, though, in my opinion. I mean, that, that's there. There is that there. I mean, we're not gonna deny that there's that mm. that there isn't um, reasonable doubt uh, at this point. All right, we don't know everything. Uh, I, in fact, I was watching Jay for Justice a podcast earlier. And uh, she actually brought up maybe perhaps doing a collab. And so we might be doing something in the future uh, together as well. Uh, But, you know, she ended up getting a phone call from Detective Payne while she was on her live earlier today. And I guess it was in reference to a tip that she had put in. I don't know. She didn't mention what tip she gave or what it was in reference to, but something that she had seen. Yeah, that tells me, and, and I already kind of knew already. I, I didn't doubt this, but that tells everybody that the police department is still investigating this. Um, I, I believe what they're probably doing right now, and the reason why they're forcing, maybe perhaps why they're slowing down this process of giving information, is so that they can kind of force the defense to um, push past that six month time frame, I think they're looking for the weapon and and the stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're giving themselves time to find it. I agree with you, man. I agree with you. Um that that way if they find the weapon there'll be I think at that point it'd be kind of case case closed depending on where they find it. You know what I mean? Or how they find it. I mean if they find it in, in an area where he was seeing uh where his phone was pinging going into yeah. remember that it turned off a couple of different times. And then it turned back on and they go find it somewhere in that area, uh, regardless of how damaged or destroyed that that stuff may or may not be. Uh, I, I think they got him, dude. Yeah. You know, because you got to look at you got to look at this from, you know, from the whole picture. And thank you, Olivia, for your five dollar super chat. Happy weekend, everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at this, the whole picture of the incident. Right. You have Koberger's DNA match to a DNA on a sheath underneath 
on, on a weapon uh, or on a, on a device that was assumed to have held the, the murder weapon underneath one of the victim's bodies. I mean, I'm just saying that sentence, regardless of it, touch, transfer, all this stuff, you have his DNA on a sheath that potentially held the murder weapon underneath one of the victim's bodies. You have his phone off during the commission of the crime. And you have um, him uh, driving around. You have video surveillance, and you're able to correlate him and Pullman with his cell phone during the time that he had his phone on, right? During the time he had his phone off, uh, that's up for debate. But um, during the time that he had it on, you can correlate that those are his, that is his vehicle. So we know that he was out and about during that time, and we know that he drives a vehicle uh, that an FBI profiler or whatever, uh, at least at one at a certain point, even if it was after the fact that um, they got Brian Koberger's name, they were probably, you know, they probably went and looked at the Pullman tapes at that point and then were like, hey, there he is at five something in the morning. Right. There it is. There's his vehicle. Hey, that vehicle sure does match and look very similar to the one over here. Right. So what has to happen for it not to be Koberger? Like the whole picture. Not just, oh, he could have had his DNA there and he could have done this. We are we are to believe that um, for it to for Koberger to be innocent, he just so happened that his phone died or turned off on his cruise around the state of Idaho and Washington uh, that night during the commission of the crime and turned back on afterwards. Yeah. And it just so happened that some psycho uh, visited the same garage sale that Koberger visited that he picked up the knife sheath and, and handled that guy just so happened to commit the crime while Koberger doesn't have an alibi because his phone was off. Yeah. Right. And it just so happens that that guy also drives a vehicle that looks like his. There's only so many coincidences that could happen. You know what I mean? Right. So when it comes to reasonable doubt, I get, I get why after the fact, I mean, I get why, you know, there's no DNA in the car. That's a huge hurdle. And I've even said it myself. If I was one of the 12 jury members today, I'd have a difficult time saying that he was guilty based off of that alone. Now, if they find bleach or any of those other things, um, you know, in his car that could explain why that there's no DNA in the car, then that's going to, you know, that's going to be interesting. And I know a lot of people are going to point, oh, wait, wait, wait. The defense said that there was a lack of an explanation as to why there was no DNA. Well, they don't have to explain it to them right now. All they got to do is provide them the evidence. Yeah. They can explain to them what they, you know, their interpretation of the evidence at court. That's what that's for. They don't, they don't have to, you know, uh, the, the, the prosecution doesn't have to give an explanation of the evidence to the defense. So, for instance, if there's a video of a crime that's being committed, when the prosecution hands over that video to the defense, they don't have to explain to the defense, here's what we think is going on in this video. No. All they got to do is hand them the video and, hey, you pick apart the video and you tell us why he's, you know, this isn't what we're seeing. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the prosecution is going to pick a whatever story that they're going to go with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. tear it apart, either one. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you're right, you're right. I just, I don't see, I honestly don't see what could uh, get him not guilty. 
recording for now. You know what I mean? You can't uh, see what I'm sorry. I said I can't. I can't see him getting off of that. You know what I mean? Getting away with it. You know what I mean? Especially, it, I mean, it's just the timeline. His phone, the, the phone pings, especially now that you know that the the time the, the phone pings are a lot more accurate than we thought they were. Right. Um, the fact that you know his DNA is there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It's it's looking like it might be, uh, like it's not gonna be a not guilty working at this point for me at least. No, I don't think so either. And and like I said, when when it came to the lack of explanation and stuff, it's clearly obvious that the prosecution is not giving the defense the results of things the way they see it. Yeah, you know, like I said, they um turned over all the all the video of the vehicles that they found um, or the, of the surveillance and they're letting the, you know, the defense find what it is that they're going to use against him. Yeah. And, you know, is it, is it shady? Is it not? I don't know. It's a tactic. It's commonly used. It's, it's part of, it's part of it. It happens. I mean, the defense is going to do it back and forth. They do it back and forth to each other. In fact, there was a, there was a, a document not too long ago that was uh, referencing I guess the defense went into Brian Koberger's house and they took some items from inside the home mm-hmm. and the prosecution asked for a list of the items that they took. And they still had at that point, they still hadn't gotten it to them either. So it's it's something that they do to each other, both back and forth. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't look too much into it. Um, Sarah Beth asked, did DMB try to wake K&M before they called? Her? No idea. Uh, I don't think so, though. No, there was a case a while back also about they, they found this car that was uh it was stolen. It was reported stolen, and um, they ended up finding the car on fire with the with the owner right uh, in the in the trunk, and they couldn't figure out who did the you know who who killed them. And mm-hmm. they ended up like since the car was on fire, the only like there was not a lot of DNA, you know what I mean, or fingerprints. But what happened is that the rearview mirror. Uh, mm-hmm. It was since it was a little bit higher from where the all the gasoline was at. Right. It was almost intact, and they found a, a single fingerprint behind it. I guess the 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 perpetrator kind of like moved the mirror around, so when he's driving, he forgot right. to like just like you no know, clean it, or or he thought that it, the the fire was going to take care of all that, but it ended up right. st- they got there right on time, and they they ended up finding the fingerprint behind that mirror, and they ended up catching them like that. So right. like I think that's the same case with with this uh the DNA on this uh on the sheet itself, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, another big piece of evidence about that is I know a lot of people are gonna look at and they look at oh man, he was a psychology PhD, this, that, and third. And I get it, he was an intelligent man. But uh, something like this is you know, there's a lot of panic frenzy. Uh, you know, mistakes happen. I mean, let's look at the Murdoch case. That guy was on a that guy was an attorney and a lawyer, and look at all the mistakes yeah. he made. A bunch. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, debris. I hope I say this right. Debris uh, says when DM supposedly called all the roommates. Obviously, KGMM and KX didn't answer. Where she goes to bed? WTF? She should have called 911. Uh, none of those three answered. Now. I asked, I was in conversation again with Christy uh, Gonzalez, and I had asked her about that. I had asked her, you know, we got in a conversation about 
Well, she had told me, she goes, I heard a rumor that, that she doesn't know if Dylan had called out verbally to everybody or if she called on the phone, but supposedly she had called out to everybody in the, you know, that night. And I told her, I was like, well, you have, you know, Kaylee's phone. You know, have her phone, or not her phone, I'm sorry. They have their phone records. Let me, let me correct that before everybody thinks that she has her phone. They never had her phone. They had her phone records because uh, that phone technically belonged to, to Christy. It didn't belong to Kaylee. It was under Christy's name. Yeah. And so um, they had her phone. I was like, you have the phone records. Did Dylan call that morning? And she stated that at 4 o'clock or four, you know, around the time that the incident occurred, that Dylan hadn't called her. So... Is it possible that she called out or she may have text messaged or maybe there's a group text right between I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, because that's one thing that that, that Christy says she does not have um, records of any ingoing or outgoing text messages, only ingoing and outgoing calls. Right. And so she said it could have been a text message. Maybe perhaps they're all on a group text, um, you know, the you know, everybody that lives in that house, I wouldn't be surprised if they're on a group text or group snap. And maybe perhaps, you know, Bethany responded and gave Dylan some sort of false sense of security. Uh, that's the only thing that I can think of. What do you think, Jaime? Yeah, if well, the thing is, like, if she called all the roommates um, and she went upstairs to check on them, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this if she did that, but I must. I'm assuming she would, right? Like she would go and try to open the door. So maybe the door was locked upstairs too. That's what I'm thinking, but I don't know if she actually left her room. You know, she yeah. may have just been calling out. Yeah, like, that's, that's I, I really don't too. know. I guess. I guess, like since you know, like I said before, we're not in the situation. Like now, we we can say what we would do, but like in being in that situation and not seeing that anything malicious happen, it'll be a different story, right? Oh, 100%, man. I mean, like, a lot of people think that they'll do something or they'll be able to do a certain thing in in a certain time. And and that goes for even, like, for instance, the victims. A lot of people say, oh, man, there was four of them. You know, how could he go through them in in, in this short amount of time? And I was like, well, he had a big-ass knife, you know. And these these individuals were, you know, at least uh, we can assume at least half of them were asleep, right? And so, you know, I, I, I recall a situation where there was a guy who um, had his vehicle stolen at gunpoint and the guy was ex-military and he swore up and down that the gun that was utilized to steal his vehicle was like a, a nine millimeter or something like that. And he he let his car go. You know, he let the guy take it. He's like, I panicked. I, I didn't know what to do. And this was a, a highly trained veteran military guy. And we end up finding the vehicle or whatever the case may be. And the guy ended up using a uh, airsoft pistol. It wasn't even an actual gun that he used to take the vehicle from him. Um, and, you know, after the fact, you know, when I was talking to this guy and I was telling him about the situation, I was like, look, man, you, you know, because he was like, I know it was this. I know it was that I would have done this and done that. And I'm like, hey, man, yeah, anybody would have been scared in that moment if they think there's a gun in their face. It's OK. Yeah, man. You know, that, that- <laughs> It don't matter how big or bad you are, man. When the when the when the no, when the firearm comes in play, it's a whole different story, man. Yeah, and a knife that that you know allegedly Koberger had is is no, it's not a small knife. That that'll that'll even the odds in height real quick. 
you know, we already know he was working out as well. He wasn't a, uh, a weak person. They have the uh, running apps in the, um, in the warrants. And we were able to pull up one of that. He was able to run a mile in six minutes, which isn't the fastest, you know, in my prime, I could beat him, but is it, prime, it isn't the slowest neither. No, nah, it's definitely not the slow. Now he could kick my ass. I'm like, <laughs> Whoa, I can't man. run a mile in six minutes. There's, I'll be honest with you. He's got I'll, me by a couple minutes. I get tired of driving the mile. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> right. But in my prime, when I was 28 years old, I would have beat his ass in, in a mile. I think my fastest mile was just, just under five, but I was in a lot better shape than I was today. I am today <laughs> when I was 27 years old. At 28, uh, no, nah, I don't think I would beat him. <laughs> I'll be honest. Maybe when <laughs> I was 18 or 19. Yeah. <laughs> but I think by nah, 28, man. I had stopped. I, I, uh, you know, the, the, the most common excuse, my knee, you know what I mean? My knee gave out. And that right, was it. Right, right. Nah, man, when I was 20, 28, 27 years old, that's when my back, I had my back injury. And I also had a, had a torn hamstring earlier that year. Uh, and I, that was when I started going down and I went from being like in physical, physical, you know, top shape. I used to do insanity P90X, the, yeah. the whole nine yards and then not doing a damn thing. It really screws with you. And so, uh, yeah. but back then I, I would have, I would have burned his ass, but, <laughs> but now nah, dude, I, I can't do no six minute mile. Hell no. On a bike, maybe, right? Uh, uh or a scooter, <laughs> electric scooters. One hundred percent, man. One hundred percent. I could definitely do it on that. We got to. <laughs> you got to come over, dude, so we can go get on the scooters again. On one, it was fun. You drive. I just hold your your waist and shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's too hot for that, man. It's too hot. For that. <laughs> it is too hot. Uh, but yeah, it's just I. I go through the same thoughts too. It's like, man, that so little time, you know what I mean? Like between upstairs and, and downstairs with these, you know, with the, the crime scenes, it's, it's like, it kind of throws me off too, you know what I mean? Because it's like so little time between both of them. And then for him to get there, do that, and then take off all within th that small time frame is, uh, it, it's confusing to say the least, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, dude, one hundred percent. I mean, it, I mean, I guess to to anybody who doesn't know, right? There hasn't been in a fight for that long. Mm -hmm. Nine minutes is a long time, though. You know, it, it really is. That that's like a couple of rounds and in boxing and things of that nature. Yeah. So it, it really is a long time. Uh, you know, but so. Just so people don't think I'm bullshitting. <laughs> that was me at 27. So I was in shape and I'm not wearing glasses. So you guys can say, and I had hair. But that, oh, was, that, was, that was supposed to be the 50K. Well, well, I, don't, I didn't wear yeah. shades every day when I was 27 years old, my man. They did. <laughs> this is the first time I'm seeing your eyes. Yeah, this is the first time you see my eyes. I look, I look extremely upset. But yeah, that was me when I was 27. I ran a mile in under five minutes, and I could chase down the best of them. And so, um, that was a long time ago, though. Long time ago. Shit. Long time ago. Um, but I think that's going to be a show, man. You got any last words or anything? Uh, 
I miss Blue. I mean, that's the last words I want. Not spend. I want to say thanks to everybody though. Thanks to mods, members, you know, everybody in the chat. Thank you, Blue. Thank you too. Even though you're not here, I'm no. I'm pretty sure he's watching. If he gets signal out there. Yeah, yeah, he's Great. probably. Well, I don't know. It depends if his if his phone was in his shorts that dissolved. Oh yeah. Down. <laughs> Game over. Game over. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll be back on Monday night. If nothing yep. comes out in this in, in the Coburger case, there's a good chance we'll be talking artificial intelligence and Neuralink and other things that are not so much crime related. If there is, we'll go back to that. Thank you, uh, Gail, for your five dollars super sticker. We appreciate that. With that, with that being said, everybody, y'all have a good night. Peace out. Goodbye. I wonder, I wonder if um, Blue is um, taking that medicine for that rash after. Remember? Oh, yeah.